0: Okay, so uh, several of you may be from another class today, and that's good, welcome. Uh, We know, as I mentioned, it is Easter Sunday, and, you know, uh, you hear it every year, you know, that this is probably the one Sunday that a lot of people go to church, you know, on Easter Sunday. I don't know about today so much with this virus and all. In fact, I saw a stat yesterday or the day before where in 1990, 70% of the people I don't know how they get these numbers, but 70% of the people claim to be a member of a church somewhere. Now it's less than 50%, you know, like something like 45 46%, something like that. And that's a sad thing, isn't it? It's sad It it just continues to seem to get worse and worse. The country, the world just moves, continues to move away from God, and uh, that's a tough thing. Perhaps today is a day that some of you may be tuning in for the first time, or some of you may be here. And that's good. Well, we welcome you here. Uh, and, it, and right now, we're studying in the Gospel of John, and you can be opening up your Bibles to John chapter 17, we'll be continuing there today. But one of the things, one of the major themes of the Gospel of John is love, right? Some have called it the Gospel of love. You, you could call all the Gospels the Gospels of love, God's love for man, God's love for us, that he would send his Son, his only begotten Son, that those who believe may have everlasting life. But... In particular, John, you know, he, he even refers to himself as a disciple that Jesus loved, and we, as we've read through the prayer, we read through his discussions with the disciples in, his, in the days before his crucifixion, he's constantly talking about love, their love for each other, their love for him, his love for the Father, their love for God, and how we know God, how, how we have a relationship with him, right? And... One thing we talked about was in John 14, particularly verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And one of those commands we read in Luke 22, 19, where he's, he's breaking bread with them, right? Before, the, then on the, you know, before the, he's going to the cross and he says, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He's talking about the communion, the thing that we observe every Sunday morning and Sunday night sometimes. Yet in the world, they don't seem to take Pay that much attention to that, right? But here we have a command to do this, and we know they were doing it in the first century every every first day of the week, from Acts 20, right? They met on the first day of the week to break bread, and then Paul began to speak. So we know these things. We we so that's why we do this every Sunday. We remember what our Lord did every first day of the week, and and we should be remembering what He did all the time. That we take particular particular time out to come together. In fact, on Sunday mornings. If nothing else, that's why you should be here, right? That's why you should be coming to church on Sundays, to commune with the Lord and with your fellow brethren, those who are like minded. We've talked a lot about in John how, how the disciples are sanctified, they're set apart, they're not of the world. It's a tough thing to be in this world. As I just said, it's getting worse and worse, it seems, all the time. Non belief, evil, it seems to be getting grasp of everything. So many things have changed over the past few years. You young folks, you think, well, you know, it's not so bad. Well, ask your parents, ask your grandparents what it was like when they were your age. They can tell you how things have changed, how it seems to be getting worse and worse, how the world seems to be moving farther and farther away from God, farther toward the evil one. But, John, but Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. These are commands. We see them. There's a command in Hebrews, Paul, well, say Paul, the Hebrew writer, said, not, do not forsake the assembly. Now I know in this pandemic, that's tough. but There's a lot of folks that are afraid to get out and we understand that. And people can't come because of illnesses or, or physical ailments or whatever it is, and that's understood. But it is nice, they can tune in online, right? We have that blessing, don't we? But what Jesus is saying, it's not, it's not keeping the law. Paul says that can't be done. It's not just following the rules, he's saying, if you love me. What was the greatest command? Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, all Right. And the second is the same as the first, to love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on this command. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So, if you're only coming on Easter, if someone's only taking time out one time a year, Perhaps you need to think about that. Is your love for God where it should be? Now, I'm not saying you need to be perfect. I'm not saying you can do everything sinlessly and everything exactly right, of course not. But where's your heart? And that's what we're talking about in this Gospel of John, right? We're talking about where is your heart? Some want to be here and just can't. Some need to be here and just won't. That's what we're talking about. If you love me, keep my commandments. You might say, that sounds legalistic. Now, it's not legalism when you're doing things out of love. You're walking in the light. You're following God's will. Just as Jesus said, I glorified you. And how did he do it? By doing his will. So these are things we've been studying in the book of John. If you haven't been here, I hope you'll take note of that. I hope you'll remember these things. I hope you'll do a study yourself of John, as you should be doing all the time. We should constantly be and steady in the word, and we're going to talk about that a little bit today, and in prayer with him, and in service, in work. Last week, we talked about what Jesus meant when he said in his prayer, this is eternal life, to know God and his son, Jesus Christ. We talked about what that meant, how, how this also means we have a present promise. In fact, you could say we are living in eternity now, right? We, we, we are Christians, we are set apart, we're not of this world, we are in the kingdom The kingdom of heaven that is on earth, you might say, in the church, but Jesus is king, he's reigning in his kingdom, send it back to heaven to God, and we are part of that. We are citizens in that kingdom. We're not of this world anymore. And so, if we're not of this world, our minds should be being transformed, right? Our minds should be thinking of things of the kingdom, not of the world. And I know you're tempted. We're going to talk about that, how we can't be taken out of the world but we have his protection, we have his promises, we have his promise to be with us, promise to help us get through this world. Well, of course, we talked about how eternity now means an abundant life, right? A joyous life, a life that we can live that is full of joy that people in the world don't understand, right? And I keep harping on that because I want to make that point. And of course, John says, He talks about that and when he says why he wrote the book, and we're going to read that again. If you'll turn over to John chapter 20, verse 30, where he says, And truly, Jesus did many other signs at the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. You see, you can have life in his name now, not in the future, not after you die or leave this world, but now. Do you ever really think about that? Do you ever wonder what that means to have abundant life in his name? Well, we talked about how we do that by following his will, by being in his word, by doing his commands, serving. We've talked about one reason Jesus' prayer is called the greatest prayer ever prayed. We talked about the first few verses. He was praying about himself. He says, glorify your son. We talked about how that was him saying, bring me back to the glory I had before. The world before I came down and became flesh, Lord myself become a man. We previously examined the part in which Jesus prayed for himself. Today we're going to look at another part of that prayer where he prays on behalf of his disciples. When he prays for those who he's going to leave behind, who he's about to go be crucified, resurrected and then ascend to the Father. And he's going we're going to read about what he says about that. Turn back to chapter 17. And let's begin in verse 6. And we've read this before, but pay attention to the word. I want you to pay attention to some of these verses. They're very good, and we're going to talk about them. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name, and those whom you gave me I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have jo- my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth, your word, is true. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. Jesus petitions God on the behalf of his disciples here. What is he doing? What's he petitioning him about? Well, first and foremost, in verse 11, he says, Keep them through your name, that they may be as we are. And what are they? They're one. God and the Son and the Spirit are one. One in three persons. In the same way, he's saying keep the disciples unified. Keep them together. Keep them as one. Jesus' departure from this world, if you think about it, is going to do what? When he leaves, and we kind of know when he was taken into custody, you might say, taken before the Sanhedrin, what what were the disciples doing? Remember, Peter... Out there denying him immediately, it hadn't even been, you know, a, a night yet a day, and he's denying him. Without that unification that God is helping them with, they're going to scatter. They're going to scatter. Remember, we talked about if Jesus just died, what what's the point, right? Without that resurrection. But he also says, "I." Uh, I I can't take them out of the world. You can't take them out of the world. I'm leaving the world, but they're going to be in the world to keep them unified, keep them together as he had done. Well, he had kept them together, right, except for Judas, and he mentions that. They had been unified with him, but he's leading them, right? He's leading them, and they still don't know. They still don't understand exactly what's going on here. They believe him, as he said. They believe he is from God, as he says but they're still not sure what they've got ahead of them. And then he says in verse 15, keep them from the evil one. See, Jesus knew after his departure, what's Satan going to do? He's going to be ramping up his followers and ramping up his cohorts to attack the disciples. Turn over to the book of Revelation. Let's read a few verses from there in the prophecies. What John wrote about it. Revelation chapter uh, 12. And let's begin in verse 1. Now this is very figurative, so just just follow along and pay attention to who's who in this. Verse 1, Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten hordes and seven diadems in his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. She bore a male child who was to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God in his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she was, had a, has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. Then move over to verse 13. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished four times and times and half a time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of the mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he went to make war with the rest of the offspring who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. You see, he couldn't get to Jesus. He tried. That's what John's talking about here. He tried to devour the Son of God. He couldn't get to him. He went back to heaven, reigning in his kingdom, sitting at the right hand of God. So what's he gonna do? He's ramping up his efforts to go after his disciples. He's ramping up his evil to go after those who are no longer protected in the world, no longer with Jesus in the world. They have to be in the world. They have to be here to spread that gospel, to spread the kingdom news, the gospel of the kingdom, the gospel of the love that God had for us. He prays for their protection. And he says, sanctify them in verse 17. That is to set them apart for a holy purpose. Which he was doing. He was planning, preparing them for this whole time in their ministry, right? He's preparing them to have that great holy purpose to go out and preach the gospel to all the world, which they did. <laughs> they were set apart, sanctified. And it's interesting with something he says there. They are sanctified by the word. In other words, the word is what's going to keep them sanctified and unified. The word is what's going to keep them from the evil one. Turn over to Matthew chapter 4, and let's read some verses from there. Matthew chapter 4. And I want you to see what Jesus did <coughs> when he was dealing with the evil one. And you know that you know these passages, but let's read them again. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, that's the evil one, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones become bread. But he answered and said, And notice, it is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. And the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. What is Jesus doing there? Of course, he's God. He's using the word to protect himself. He's using the word to keep him from the evil one. He's using the word to show him he is unified with the Father, with God. And nothing can come against him, the Father. They're together. Well, Jesus prays that, we'll be, that these disciples be sanctified through that word as well. Keeping them from the one, keeping them in unity, and sanctifying through the word of God. What does that mean exactly? What does that mean? John 1 says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God, the word was God. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among men. That's how we're protected. You might say the word is Jesus. You might say the word is God. But that's how we know who God is. That's how we have that relationship with God. That's how we are kept from the evil one. That's how we are unified. That's how we are sanctified. That's why we're not of the world. You're not of this world. This world's evil. This world... Is dying. This world is dark. You're not part of it. Well, an interesting question comes out here. Why, why, why is, so Jesus is praying this for disciples. He's praying for himself. Why should God grant his petition? Why should that happen? Well, let's talk about that a little bit. There's, there's eight things, and you, may, you can see them in the outline. But we'll talk about them. First of all, he says they are his gift from the Father. The disciples are. Note Jesus' words in verse 6, and let's turn back over there. Just look at that. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave, who have given me, out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. He, these men were a gift, a gift from the Father to the Son. Uh, in your outline, J, uh, J. W. McGarvey writes about that a little bit. And if you don't know who J. W. McGarvey, he's a contemporary of Alexander Campbell, wrote the 4-4 Gospels and, and some other writings. But he says. You observe this to be the Father is the possessor of all humanity as the creator. He created everyone, right? The Father did. But the Son, by gift from the Father, possesses the believing portion of humanity as his redeemer. So, So God created the universe, created all humanity, created all the animals, everything on the earth, but his gift to the Son is those who believe and have faith and receive his word. They received God's word. They kept his word. We read that in verse 6 as well, right there. They knew all things that Jesus had told them came from God. See, that's part of faith, isn't it? Somebody can tell you anything, right? Your kids probably do that all the time, right? Just tell you anything you want to hear, right? Yeah. But they knew he was from God not just because of his word, because of what he did, because of the signs and wonders, and because they knew he was from God because they were his. We talked about that. talked about how they were following him. They're also a joint possession of the Father and Son. Look back at verse 9 there. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world. He's not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now, don't get me wrong. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, God wishes all to come to repentance and turn from their evil ways. But not everyone's going to be saved. The world is evil, it's dark. Not everyone's going to believe. So he's talking about they, these that believe, these that have received his word, these that are gonna continue spreading that gospel or a joint possession of the Father and the Son. The Father would naturally have a similar concern for his disciples, right? For they are not only disciples of Christ, but when we become Christians, we become children of God, right? We are children in the family of heaven, in the kingdom of heaven. We're part of that. Jesus was glorified. That's another reason God's going to grant this petition. He he was glorified in what they're doing, in their belief. He's glorified when sinners become saints. When sinners receive his word, turn from their evil ways and act on it. That's when Jesus is glorified. That's when the Lord is glorified. His petition was not, if it was not answered, his petition was not to be answered, then how would he be glorified? God had to grant him that. That nothing else, that very reason. Another is, Jesus is going back to the Father. He's going to leave them behind. Verse 11, we start reading about that. Let's read it again. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father. Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. He preserved them while on earth, as, except, for Jesus, except for Judas, now leaving them, he wants to ha- have them kept. He wants to have them the joy that they fulfilled in themselves. He wants them to continue to be unified and kept from anyone. He's no longer going to be on the earth. That's a concern. Right? Now he's God. He knows that they're going to be kept, but he prays for it anyways. continues to have that communication with the Father, just like we should be. Verse 14. <clears throat> find it i have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world just as i am not of the world all right following christ means what it means some sacrifice right because you're in this world this world hates you did you know that does this world hate you do you feel hated by the world sometimes? <clears throat> that, that's a hard one to answer, isn't it? Because we live in the world, we, 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 we have our friends, we have our, our lives, our families, whatever you want to call it, and we go day to day, going about our business, hopefully enjoying our lives, and that's, that's good, that should be, but... Do you ever come across someone who is rejecting you because of your faith? Do you ever see that? I I know you can hear news, you can see things and be appalled by something that you you know is wrong. But that's not that personal, is it? That's more like over there, out there. In my personal life, I I don't feel that so much, right? And we're not persecuted in this country. We still have freedom of religion, at least right now we do. So we got it pretty good in that respect, right? Not like other parts of the world. But Jesus says the world's going to hate you because you were following him, just as it hated him. Have you ever really considered that? Perhaps you might need to be doing a little more about talking about him to others. That might be something you need to do. I know you don't want to be rejected. I know you don't want to lose a job or you know, whatever it is, but maybe there's some more stuff you gotta be doing, you need to be doing You kind of feel that. I know that's not something you want to feel, but it's a truth. When you start doing the will of the Father, the world's gonna reject you. They're gonna hate you. And then verse 18, he says, they are being sent into the world. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. What did Jesus do? He became flesh. He was, he, was, he was glorified. He was with the Father in heaven in all his glory. He lowered himself lower than the angels to become a man. And he did the will of the Father, thereby glorifying the Father in what he did. He did it without question. He did it without hesitation. He did it no matter what he was up against, including an awful death on the cross. Talked about that many times, we talked about it last week. We have eternity, right? We have eternal life. We're in it now. If that's the case, what does it matter if we're persecuted? What does it matter if we might have to die for what we believe in? Yeah, I know that's a tough statement. That's a tough statement to hear. And, And we talked about, you know, We want eternal life, but we don't necessarily want it now, right? You're in it now. You're living in eternity. If that's the case, why aren't you talking about it more? Why aren't you spreading that gospel more, talking about what he's doing for you? And I'm I'm talking about myself, too. For their sakes, he was sanctified, he sanctified himself, and therefore, they are sanctified because of it. Jesus is willing to sanctify himself for their sakes. Well, there's kind of eight, I don't know, reasons Jesus' petition has to be answered by God, okay? We talk about that. To keep them unified, to keep the disciples from the evil one, and to sanctify them through the word of God. But we're not just talking about the disciples at that time, the disciples at the Passover. We're not just talking about that. Jesus' prayer relates to us. He's talking about those who have not seen him, right? Those in the future. As you have sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify them, that they also may be sanctified by their truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be at one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe, that you sent me <coughs> he's praying that we be kept unified, he's praying that we be kept from the evil one and he's praying that we be sanctified turn over to 2 Thessalonians I want to read something from there Second Thessalonians chapter 3 Paul's letter to the Thessalonians those at Thessalonica First, chapter 3 verse 1 Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. So here's Paul talking to, writing to those in Thessalonica. They hadn't seen Jesus. They weren't with him in the, when he was in the flesh. Yet, the Lord is faithful to guard them from the everyone. Turn back to 1 Thessalonians there. Let's read a couple of verses from that. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Starting in verse 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that ye should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification, and honor not in passion of lust, like the gentiles who do not know god or you might say like the world that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified for god did not call us to uncleanness but in holiness therefore he who rejects this does not reject man but god who has also given his holy spirit you see When 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 we face the world, when the world hates us, they're not hating us, they're hating God. They're rejecting God. We're just the messenger. We're just spreading that word. In the same sense, we as disciples are the Father's gift to the Son, just like he talked about those disciples there in the garden. We are disciples because we also received his word. We are his joint possession. And you know you know the verses, but we've been bought with a price, paid for by the blood of Christ. Now if you think about that, that's a powerful thing, is it not? We were bought because of Jesus' death. He died that we might be bought and become the possession of God. We no longer have Christ on the earth. We're no longer of this world. We are hated by the world. In fact, let's turn over to 1 Peter. I'm going to read a couple verses from there. These are very good verses. 1 Peter, chapter 2. And uh, beginning in verse 11. Beloved, I beg you... Notice, Notice this verse. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Did you understand that passage there? He's saying you're sojourners. This is not your home. You're a pilgrims. You're on a journey. And guess what? When they speak evil against you, that glorifies God. What? How, how does that happen? How are you glorifying God because they're speaking evil against me? Because you are faithful, you've received His word, you are unified, and you are sanctified. We don't necessarily understand what all that means. We can't in this life. We can't in the flesh. We don't know exactly what that means to glorify God. I think one day in heaven we will. We'll see his glory in person. We'll see the greatness of it. I would imagine it's going to blow our minds. And you know what? As part of that, our joy, our peace is going to be just unfathomable. We can't imagine what that's going to be. Seeing the glory of God. He says, when those speak against you, when those hate you in this world, God is glorified. I guess that's kind of like, you know, mean some, you're doing something right, right? You hear, the, you hear that term a lot, you know. Well, if they're, if they're making fun of me, you know, if they're blasting me, I must be doing something right. Kind of like that, that means, right? You're glorifying God. Remember that. You're not of this world. You're not of this world. You're part of the kingdom. You're just traveling through. You're going to be blasted. You're going to be reviled. You're going to be re- yelled at, screamed at. You're going to be hated. It's part of it. When you were baptized, that's something you're taking on. You may not have realized it then, but you were. That's part of that baptismal thing. You're raised. To newness of life you're washed away from sin you're a new creature in God in Christ bought with a price by the blood of Christ you don't get to just receive part of the gifts you got to have received all of it and part of that means you're hated by the world Jesus prayed for his disciples because they received the word because they believe the word and They kept the word. If we're going to be true disciples, if we're going to be true children of God, true sojourners in this world, looking forward to that great eternal home in heaven, we must receive the word, we must believe the word, and we must keep the word. It's not easy to do, right? easier to say all that than do it right that's all part of it remember though Jesus prayed for you the son of God prayed that you would be kept in unity that God would keep you from the evil one and then you would be set apart we can have great confidence doing that he prayed for us right there in the garden. He's about to die. He's about to suffer an awful death. He's very concerned for his disciples, but also for you, those to come. That's an awesome thing. The creator of the universe has concern for you. If that's the case, if you're not part of the kingdom, today's the day. No better day than today. Make that change. Turn over to Hebrews real quick. I want to read a verse from there, chapter seven, <clears throat> verse twenty-five. Actually, let's start in verse twenty-three. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the, most, to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. We have a great high priest who prayed on our behalf, who intercedes for us, so we can have that personal relationship with the Father. While here on earth, you can have abundant life. Keep harping on that. that's what John's about. That's, that's, that's a major theme in this gospel. You can have abundant life by knowing the Son. And through him, you know the Father. Wow. It just don't get any better than that, right? All right. Our time is up. Thanks for being here. Enjoy your day.